Lord Jesus, some of us might be feeling a bit tired of Lamentations. Some of us might be feeling a bit, uh, I want to feel better, don't keep me in this place in the pit about this book. Um, But we pray, Holy Spirit, that this be a time where, yes, we are still in this pit, but we are in this pit so that we can learn something and so that we can experience life with you in a new way, in a deeper way, so that we can be transformed um, in how we live every day. There are lessons that we can learn about how you would have us live and think and be in a broken, broken world until you come again and ring through these pages. And so we pray that, uh, Father, we come to know your will more fully as we read these words, that we understand the work of Jesus, our Savior and our King, and that we know the presence of the Holy Spirit and the courage to follow and the encouragement of that same spirit who lives within us and among us. In your name we pray. Amen. So we turn to Lamentations chapter 4. If you're going to follow along in the Bibles that are in the sanctuary here, you can turn to page 595 in the first set of page numbers. We have been journeying through Lamentations this Lent season learning about the power and the purpose of lament, which is to cry out and be honest about your sadness, your grief, your struggling, and your pain. And not just your grief, but the grief of others and the struggling and the suffering of others as well. So Lamentations chapter 4. How the gold has grown dim, how the pure gold is changed, The sacred stones lie scattered at the head of every street. The precious children of Zion, worth their weight in fine gold. How they are reckoned as earthen pots, the work of a potter's hand. Even the jackals offer the breast and nurse their young. But my people have become foolish, like ostriches in the wilderness. The tongue of the infant sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The children beg for food, but no one gives them anything. Those who feasted on delicacies perish in the street. Those who were brought up in purple cling to ashes. For the chastisement of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment, though no hand was laid on it. Her princes were purer than snow, whiter than milk, their bodies more ruddy than coral, their hair like sapphire. Now their visage is blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the street. Their skin has shriveled on their bones. It has become as dry as wood. Happier were those pierced by the sword than those pierced by hunger whose life drains away, deprived of the produce of the field. The hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children. They became their food and the destruction of my people. The Lord gave full vent to his wrath. He poured out his hot anger and kindled a fire in Zion that consumed its foundations. 
The kings of the earth did not believe, nor did any of the inhabitants of the world, that foe or enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. It was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed the blood of the righteous in the midst of her. Blindly they wandered through the streets, so defiled with blood that no one was able to touch their garments. Away, unclean, people shouted at them. Away, away, do not touch. So they became fugitives and wanderers. It was said among the nations, they shall stay here no longer. The Lord himself has scattered them. He will regard them no more. No honor was shown to the priests, no favor to the elders. Our eyes failed, ever watching vainly for help. We were watching eagerly for a nation that could not save. They dogged our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end drew near. Our days were numbered, for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles in the, mount, in the heavens. They chased us on the mountains. They lay wait for us in the wilderness. The Lord's anointed, that is the king, the breath of our life, was taken in their pits. The one whom we said under his shadow we shall live among the nations. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter Edom, you that live in the land of Uz. But to you also the cup shall pass. You shall become drunk and strip yourself bare. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer. But your iniquity, O daughter Edom, he will punish. He will uncover your sins. This is the word of the Lord. So just a note for understanding, Edom is the country that represents Israel's enemies. And so again, this idea that God's justified judgment and his steadfastness is known in the fact that this is not just what God will do to Israel, but what God will do to anyone who goes against his will and evilness. Again, a story that's been retold through Jesus. So here we are in Lamentations 4, which is three different kinds of genre or literature or writing in one. One, it's a city lament, the kind of lament that's written when a city is destroyed. And by learning, by reading a city lament, we are reminded that we cannot ignore the pain that is seen in the streets. The pain that is seen in the streets cannot be ignored or forgotten or discredited. It's a funeral dirge for that city, which means that we can't ignore the painful history that has brought us to this point. We can't ignore the pain in the streets. We can't ignore the painful history. And it's a communal lament, which reminds us that though we might personally commit sins, our sins always have a communal effect. They always have an effect that is larger than ourselves. And so when we sin, we hurt not just ourselves, we hurt other people and we sin not just against ourselves and against God, but also against other people. And so 
not ignoring the pain that we see in the streets, not ignoring the history of our people and telling the truth, even if it's painful, and not ignoring that our sins have consequences, we are reminded in Lamentations 4 that there is nothing new. We have read nothing new in this passage of Scripture. The lament of the people persists. We had this little moment where we rose above in Lamentations 3 to remember the steadfastness and the long arc, but we have dropped back down into the chaos that is suffering and pain and grief. One of the scholars that I read for Lamentations, his name is Sung Chen Ra, and he, he describes himself as a happy-go-lucky kind of guy. But it was when he reached Lamentations 4 that he felt like he had slipped into a deep depression because of the way that he was coming to terms with how Lamentations tells this story. And one of the things that I have been feeling, and perhaps you have too, is boy, am I looking forward to Easter. I think this might be one of the most meaningful Easter's for me because of the time that we are spending in Lamentations, because of the time that we are spending to explore what it's like to tell the truth and to not just be angry, but to be sad about what we see and to understand why lamenting persists even though Jesus has changed the story. And so instead of looking at what is described as the pain and suffering, we're going to look at Lamentations 4 this morning for some clues as to why lament persists. For clues to understand the roots of the problem of the Israelites. What we read here is what we see, what reveals the heart and the state of the people of God. And invites us to that same sort of reflection and self-examination. So we begin at the beginning. With the wronged worth that the people of God have identified as being the most valuable and the highest goal of their society and their, and their people, their, their community. Gold that goes dim. Sacred stones that line the streets. How interesting that it begins with this reversal of wealth. That that gold that the city had wanted so badly to keep actually did them no good when the enemy came. The wealth that they sought is what leads to what? As those who dress in purple, remember that being a color of wealth and status, find themselves in the same heap of ash as everyone else. Their money didn't protect them from anything. And then we also see this value that they give to their good-looking people. They describe their children as being turned into ordinaries. What used to be beautiful like the gemstones is now like the earthen pots, and what a shame that is to them. And later on in verse 7, when he talks about the princes that looked so beautiful, the ruddy and the, the color of their hair, and now they're just like 
They can't be recognized in the streets because they're covered in black soot. But appearances and beauty and wealth in God's eyes are the wrong things to value. The wrong worth. And then we see how part of what's happened and caused this problem for them is that their compassion is not rooted deep enough in them. And so when their strength fails and their own survival is on the line, they choose themselves over innocent children. Children who beg for food that no one gives them. Children who become dinner by women who used to be described as compassionate. Because when they find that it's a choice between themselves and someone else, they choose themselves. And they become a divided people who are so afraid of one another. And yes, the rules about cleanness and uncleanness and touching they only become are, are real, and, uh, and so the root of this action is perhaps rooted in a place that was holy. But when it comes to people begging on the streets, they say, away, unclean. They yell at them to go further away because they're worried about themselves and what more could be brought to them with someone. Their compassion is not deeply rooted in them. Because when the going gets tough, it goes out the window. And finally, notice how they describe where they seek their help. They eagerly wait and watch for a nation to come and save them from their troubles. Who should they be looking and watching for? The one whom has brought this upon them. They take refuge in God from them. And yet instead they seek the, the power around them to be the one to rescue them instead of seeking God. And because they seek the power around them, they end up getting played. Because as they eagerly wait and watch for this nation to come to their rescue, that nation is eagerly waiting and watching them so that they can take the most advantage of them. They dog their steps, which has this, in, this note of being like always being watched for a time of weakness. They dog their steps. They follow them like an eagle follows its prey. Instead of coming to their rescue, these nations came to add to the suffering for their own will and strength. And so because they had their values in the wrong place, because they sought wealth and beauty above service to God's kingdom, because their compassion was not rooted deep enough because they did not understand the compassion of God for them, and because they sought salvation and someone, salvation and security in someone besides God, their lives became a story that did not follow the story of God. 
Their lives became a set of actions that went against the will of God. And it finds them a little helpless to know what to do in the hard times. So to help us understand how this might apply for us, I want you to just take a minute, and with your gut reaction, there's no judgment here, with your gut reaction, I want you to think about the thing that you want most. Now, what do you need or who do you need for that thing? So for a lot of us, myself included, uh, that thing probably has nothing to do with the kingdom of God in a primary sense. For a lot of us, it might do with some of these things that we've just talked about. Because we continue to be people where laments must persist because the heart of God's people is not yet aligned correctly. And therefore, whose people are not living according to the will of God. Because we continue to be people who value worthless things. We have worthless worth in our hearts and in our minds and how we live our lives. Compared to so many in the world, our understanding of what wealth is, for instance. How many of us would not scramble after sacred stones lying in the street? Our understanding has been driven by a culture of consumerism that leads us to value certain things over others. And who here would like to argue with me that beauty and appearance still doesn't mean something more important than it should in our world today? We still care and look upon and be jealous of the beautiful and wish wish that we could be different. If we had more money, if we had a more pretty face, Maybe, maybe it would be different. And just as the people of God's compassion was not rooted deep enough, we too continue to suffer from shallow compassion. I read this week uh, through my Micah group about uh, a study that was done over a decade about empathy among college students. So this ability to see and see someone's situation and not think about yourself in that, situation, but to think about what it must be like for that other person and who they are and what they're experiencing. So not just have compassion, but to go deeper and to understand what somebody is going through and why they might feel the way that they feel about something. And over the last decade, there's been a considerable drop in people's understanding and ability to practice empathy because we are a selfish people. We are a selfish people who must cultivate habits of seeking to understand and know and love the others. To be able to step outside of yourself and understand and wonder what it's like to be someone else can only happen if one's compassion and love is rooted in the presence and love of Christ in the world. It's the same sort of thing that we experience 
when we feel uncomfortable when another group has some sort of specialness about them. And it could be a specialness even that's uh, in a bad sense. So whether or not you think that uh, it's worth First Nations languages being uh, more widely used or, or recognized in Canada, part of what we feel when we're resistant to that sort of thing is this sense that they're getting highlighted or separated as special, and I'm not. My people aren't. This understanding of my specialness is what gets in the way of our ability to have compassion on one another. The same sort of thing that's formed from our false security narratives for the ways that we seek salvation without even realizing that what that's what we're doing. When we look for that financial security above all else. When we look to have our good deeds known by others so that our reputation as a good person is what's most important to us and what we want to have be left as a legacy. When we think of ourselves as being exceptional and our culture as being superior and therefore it changes the way that we think of others because we want them to have the security and the power well we don't always want them to have the power and security we want them to have the life that we have dreamed the one that's given and because these things continue to exist within us we continue to live lives that cause pain and estrangement instead of alleviating pain and because these things continue to exist within us, we continue to struggle to tell the painful truth of our stories and our past as individuals and as a people group. And because these states in us continue to exist, we fail to understand how the sins that we commit as, in, as individuals affects everything around us. And as they do, the reason to lament persists. The broken world continues. Jesus said that these things weren't going to go away, even though the punishment and the wrath of God that was visited up, uh, upon the people will not happen again in this way. Jesus taught us that we had our values in the wrong place through his parables, didn't he? And he, he told us about these false narratives of security that we were clinging to when he encountered people who questioned him out of their own discomfort and nervousness about what they were hearing him say. And he showed us a life of compassion as well as a life of empathy that did not bend or changed the holiness of God, but gave us another way to understand that holiness. And when we think about what Jesus would answer to that question, what is the thing that you want most in the world? His answer would be to do the will of the Father who sent me. For people to keep 
Christ for their salvation. And for people to receive the gift of the life that is in the Holy Spirit. For it is from that place compassion takes hold of our hearts. What if we were to understand that doing the will of the Father was to live a compassionate life? What if we were to understand that seeking Christ for our salvation would tell something to the world around us instead of eagerly waiting for someone else to rescue us? And what if, what if the Spirit of God was truly our life and the things that we valued would seek God where we know he is. We would seek God in the pain on the street where he is comforting and bringing peace. We would seek God in the way he is redeeming the painful past with his grace and his mercy and his purpose. And we would seek God in the forgiveness of our sins. Asking God how he will restore in the midst of our sinfulness and the brokenness of this world. So yeah, we're still here and we're still lamenting. And that lament still persists. But we do so with Lamentations 3 in mind, that God's mercies are new every morning, and that if we were to look to see, we would find it. So we offer this lament prayer together, and the words will be on the screen. The world trembles out of control, God. The violence builds, some by terrorism, some by state greed dressed up as policies, violence on every side. You, in the midst of the out-of-control violence, we confess you steadfast, loyal, reliable, but we wonder if you yourself are engaged in brutality. We confess you to be governor and ruler, but we wonder if you manage. We, in the midst of out-of-control violence, we, in great fear, we, in deep vocational call, we, in our several anxieties, we, alongside you, in the trembling. This day we pray for freedom to move beyond fear to caring, beyond self to neighbor, beyond protection to growth, that we may be a sign of steadfastness, that anxiety may not win the day. 
are the ones who say, do not ruin us. And now, we submit to you, Magad people.